This is Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys on Dubai Eye 103.8. It's Helen Farmer with you on Dubai Eye 103.8. This is Farmer's Kitchen brought to you by Spinneys. Your chance to eat well, live well, shop well, cook well, and my goodness, get some inspiration from the best in the business. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. It is all about food. I'm delighted to be rounding up the latest food news and having a bit of a, a bit of a chat, really, with one of my favourite foodies. It's Joey Gazelle. He's the man behind the main three venues here in the UAE. And eyes on the prize, opening up a London location, which is why he is so busy and perhaps even busier than usual. Joey, first of all, congratulations on going global. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's it's a huge deal for us, especially for me. Uh, you know, I started off my career as a waiter in London uh, 20 years ago. So going back to London to open a restaurant is, uh, is a bit of a milestone. Can you tell us where it is in London town? Um, it's going to be a big reveal in about a month. Oh. But I can tell you, I could tell you that it's going to be more than just a restaurant. It's in the heart of London. And uh, it's something really, really iconic. Okay, right. Well, you better tell us first, okay? Promise? <laughs> Thank you so much. I'll let you know. Now, we're getting messages coming in, people saying the foods they hate. What about you? And working in the food industry and working with chefs and going out to dinner, enjoying restaurants as well. Is there anything you kind of go, mm, that looks nice, but I'm just not going to put any on my plate? Anything that you can't stand, I'm, Joey? I, I really hate fussy food. I mean, anything that is just looks like it's uh, you know a piece of jewelry something that you don't want to eat something that just feels that it's something with too many ingredients in it something that's just fussy and unnecessary that's what I hate so food that doesn't look like food I'm I'm with you to be honest I mean I, yeah I, I really I mean I'm not I was never really a big believer in, in the whole sort of molecular thing I, I look it's nice I went once I went to the fat duck I went to El Bulli, I did the whole thing but it's it really wasn't for me I mean and what you get at the main is proper, proper food, real food. Um, what I wanted to ask you, and you know, we know how much turmoil the restaurant industry has been in over the course of the last year. We're lucky here in Dubai, and certainly at the main, you know, it's buzzing. People are back. We've had that boomerang effect of people just really wanting to be out in the world. Other parts of the world, not so lucky. And thinking about my, you know, my brother-in-law who was at Michelin Star Restaurants in London and has been furloughed now for a year and a half. And what we're seeing in Paris and in London is hiring chefs from Michelin Star Restaurants or an up-and-coming star from, you know, exciting foodie backgrounds to come to your home and cook for you. Top-end chefs costing in excess of about 50,000 dirhams for six guests and about a third of that for less. So that's without drinks. Um would that appeal to you, Joey? Is that something you would spend on? I'm not saying here in Dubai because we're lucky enough to have the options, but if you were in Paris or London and were desperate for some restaurant-quality food, would you spend big? Absolutely, I would. I think uh, a lot of restaurants have had to come up with really creative solutions to survive this crazy time. You know, some have even turned their restaurants into grocery stores, so it's not hard to imagine that chefs and, uh, and, and, you know, people working in the industry would, would opt to have kind of more personalized uh, home service. We're launching, actually, Maine is launching an at-home service, a catering service. There's a lot of um, uh, peop- uh, companies here in the UAE that are doing at-home, like Hey Chef and We Cook and others. So there, th- these things are, do exist, and I think it's, why not? 
invite your friends over and have a, a great chef cook for you. And then you don't even need to think about getting a taxi home. You just plod in your pajama bottoms right. straight down for it to, to fully crash out. Let us know your thoughts on this, guys. Um, I want to know when's Maine at Home going to be launching, Joey? Is it going to be in time for my All... birthday, July 5th? <laughs> yes. The yes. answer is yes. And actually, we should we should talk. Why not? Let's, <laughs> let's throw a Maine at Home party. Oh, let's do it. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. We have got the man behind the main. Joey Gazal is with us as we look at the latest food news. Now, full disclosure, I don't know any Korean pop music at all. Literally, first time I've ever heard that piece of music. Never in my life before. Just pressed a button there it was, and it's the power of radio. That is BTS. Uh, Joey, I can see you on Microsoft Teams. You weren't dancing along at all to that. Not not your jam? I love that you think uh, that I would even know what that is. <laughs> I think we're on the wrong side of 20, unfortunately, to know who BTS are. But McDonald's is working with a Korean pop band Sensation to promote their latest meal. Now, apparently, this, this band BTS has been already kind of corner the market saying this, we, this is what we have when we go to mcdonald's and now it is going global and their fans are going bananas including people right here one twitter user in arabic saying from today i will just eat at mcdonald's another user from saudi urging them to make it available in the kingdom but what i really wanted to put to you joey is that you as as i've said have had some you know big names coming the restaurant you've worked internationally how much influence do celebrities have on what and where we eat I mean, I'm literally Googling them now. I mean, I can't believe these guys. First of all, I thought BTS stood for behind the scenes. It's, apparently it stands for Bangtan Boys. I don't know. Wrong, wrong, wrong I crowd. Know. I would say behind the but, but what is interesting is that these guys get like crazy engagement. I mean, there's like a million mentions of them daily. So, yeah. I mean, if they talked about my product, uh, I would, I would. Love that. Yeah, if we, if we can afford them. I'll say, you do know some Korean music, Gangnam Style. Yeah, that's true, actually. But what I do love is Korean food. I'd be much more excited about them getting on board with a Korean brand and putting some, right. putting some kimchi in my life. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking, like, which celebrity, which band would influence me to go to a restaurant? I don't know. I mean, this is why paparazzi is such an interesting concept, because as much as, uh, you know, restaurants you know, want to get people in and out. It's it's a bit of a, a double-edged sword, really, because sometimes you're hot and sometimes you're not. Do, you know, when we see it here as well, visiting footballers, coming to certain restaurants, do you care about getting the big names in? Is it important to you? Can it make or break a restaurant? Um, I think it's, look, it's important. I think it's it's one of the elements. It's not the only element. You obviously, the, the food and the service has to speak for itself. But look, people people are connectors and they drive the conversation and, and they, you know, they're, thought leaders and people listen to them. Uh, and, and yeah, so there are some people whose opinions are respected and, and you need to get them in and you need to get them on your side. Sometimes but, I mean, it's a case of getting them in to, to launch you and then it's down to the restaurant, to the food, to the service, to keep customers, right? So to make that a, rather than novelty, to make, to you know keep them as as regulars and we're seeing you know trends just going crazy on tiktok as well and you know we saw this with the dalgona coffee with the tiktok feta pasta people just getting you know just it's going bananas tiktok feta pasta i tried it was rank (laughs) 
was absolutely horrible. Was it? Yeah, it looked amazing. It wasn't. No, the feta was way oh, too really? salty. I would do. I would do it with a different cheese next time. Um, I wonder if a different cheese would work. I think we need to do a taste test. The latest trend is about drinking chlorophyll water, um, which mm. people are saying it makes your sweat smell sweet. No, mm-hmm. thank you. I mean, I mean, maybe, but I don't know. Um, but what I wanted to ask you a little bit about is, it's actually you know, kind of, is this getting out of hand? How do you feel about, you know, following foodie trends on social media? Is there anyone that you are influenced by in the food world? Look, I think ultimately as a restaurateur, you know, I like to create timeless experiences. Mm. I like to create experiences that are focused on a very strong foundation of excellent service and good food and an amazing ambiance. And ultimately, the product has to speak for itself. Um, The creative ways or or, or platforms that you use, like TikTok and others, to get the messaging out or to generate conversation and buzz can be used to, I don't know, generate some excitement, be top of mind. Uh, You know, if you're doing a campaign, if you're about to launch and nobody knows who you are, I mean, I think you need to do, you need to have a kind of a multi-pronged strategy. So I'm not against it. I actually, I think it's getting out of hand in terms of there's a lot of noise and it drowns out the the things that are really good. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. people can't differentiate between what's good and what's not. I mean, this thing that you, we were talking about offline about the the two ingredient Kinder Toast. Hey, I'm on board. (laughs) I mean, I'm all about two ingredient dishes. I mean, I love the idea. It's a really interesting challenge. Um, and it's a great way to engage people, you know, especially young, you know, kids and getting them to love and, 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 and food and, and getting them to try new things. But but honestly, a, a kin- kinder egg toasty. A kinder egg toasty. Now, that is not my pre-summer body. Right? No, 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 no. That's not working. Um, but one trend I can massively get behind and something I am really conscious of right, right now is the fact it's cool to be sober right now. And we're seeing this in millennials who want to be on great form for work. They want to be exercising well and looking good. And we're seeing 0% bars popping up across Dubai. We've got a drink dry store on, um, online. Spinice has got a really wide range now of 0% drinks. Um, apparently there's one in, in Dubai called Zero Degrees Pint. It offers a non-alcoholic bar experience. So uh, some food, but also fresh juices, but still having that social feel. I am so on board with this, and I think it's amazing that I it's taken. Too. It's, it's just you, taken too long to get some good options. I think it, it has taken too long, and actually, you'll be surprised that some of the, the big brands in the world are actually getting on board with this and creating uh, alternative options. Mm-hmm. And we've been working on this at the main for about five months, and we're about to launch uh, a zero uh, alcohol uh, program. Ooh. And uh, yeah, and I think, you know, you always go to these restaurants and there's always kind of the mocktail selection and it just it's like three options and none of them are actually any good. And, um, and super sugary as well, I always find. It doesn't taste grown up. You kind of they're having a, like a diet soda or something that tastes like, you know, like a sugary cough syrup. And there should be some better options out there. You know, I've seen, I've tried a couple of um, non-alcoholic distilled spirits from Spinney's that were delicious and mixed with a good fever tree tonic. It felt like it, like a like a drinking experience with, with with zero alcohol. And I'm so, so glad that this is this movement's really starting to get some traction. Uh, there's the skinny options and now there's the zero mm. options. And I'm definitely on board with that. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, like I'm not drinking this month. And, and you know, I, I, you know, every now and then I like to be healthy and, 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 and watch myself. And I think that this is a nice way to have uh, to have options. 
So watch this space. As I said, there are some great choices in the Spinney's aisle. Um, Heineken Zero, by the way, is really decent. Um, and there's, they've got some mixes as well. So do... Uh, do investigate. And Joey, have a wonderful weekend ahead. I know you're always busy on a Thursday. It's always a busy service. Um, any chance, I mean, if people are looking to come to Maine over the weekend, what do you think they would need to eat? And let's talk about mainland in uh, Business Bay. What's your current favorite on the menu there? Oh, God. We have this amazing Wagyu toasty that we make out of the beef trimmings of all of our beef. And, you know, we have amazing product with our Irish heritage beef and Canadian beef and some, you know, grass-fed and grain-fed options, and actually all the trimmings we use to turn it into this unbelievable burger that we call the Wagyu Toasty. We serve that with a clobbered cranberry mustard, and it's just to die for. Oh, man alive. Who needs a Kinder Toasty when you've got a Wagyu Toasty at the main? Joey Gazelle, thank you so, so much. Have a wonderful week ahead. Please, please, please keep us posted on the London Outpost. And uh, we'll talk to you very soon. And keep us posted about Maine at home. Lots to talk about. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are talking Ramadan recipes now. Ankit Gulabani joining us from Spinneys to give us some ideas and inspirations. We're about two weeks through the holy month. So I hope you're having a wonderful Ramadan so far. Some great ideas of utilising some Spinney's ingredients and some, uh, some food trends as well in store and on the magazine and on the website as well. Ankit, how, how have we got through what, a month of Farmer's Kitchen? We haven't talked about banana bread yet. It was the cooking item of 2020. My husband makes what he calls banana bread and I've had to gently break it to him that the fact that he includes a bar of white chocolate and a bar of dark chocolate doesn't make it bread cake he's making but he's in a huge amount of denial about this i'm just saying i'm not a massive fan of bananas but maybe this is the recipe to tempt me before we get the recipe what is the food that you cannot stand i know you're a massive foodie you love eating out you love cooking at home but what's the one ingredient you're like "Uh -uh, not happening kiwi kiwi is it taste what's the what's your deal has no flavor whatsoever and like i just don't like what it tastes like so it's it's like it's like having like water and mush it's pointless to you anki it it's pointless yeah I, I need flavor i need something that like some oomph All right we gotta have something does your sourdough overnight banana bread have some oomph yes it does and i think the magic ingredient inside actually two magic ingredients that are inside this recipe one of them is medjool dates mm. you can find some fantastic medjool dates right now in the store and the second is sourdough starter because the sourdough adds this like lovely sour element that contrasts beautifully with like caramelly medjool dates so this makes the banana bread very unique now talk to me now given that i am not an expert in the art of bananas, um, what what kind of bananas do you need? Are we talking about ripe, overripe? What kind of colour would you be looking for? Because I know in Spinneys you've got the ones that are like literally ready to eat um, and kind of a grab and go for your lunch, but there are some that might be kind of varying. What works best in this recipe? Overripe bananas always for banana bread, like hands down. And if you have bananas that haven't gotten like super ripe yet, um, place them whole with the peel on in an oven, preheated to 180 degrees Celsius, bake for 15 to 20 minutes until they are black. 
then you let them cool and then scoop out the pulp and you can use that in the recipe. Ah, top tip. Okay, now what if we are afraid of sourdough and do not have a starter? Any shortcuts? <laughs> yeah, you increase the cake flour in the recipe to 300 grams and add 50 ml of water. I know you are a very good baker. Um, so some things that you might consider to be kind of, just kind of normal and common sense. Any tips here on making sure things come together, emulsify, bake properly? Can you give us some of your favorite tips? So one thing that I always tell people when they are baking is room temperature. It's very important for when you're mixing ingredients, they've got to be at the same similar temperature or all at room temperature. The, the, with, when all the ingredients are at room temperature, then they emulsify properly. And that's exactly what leads to a delicious, delicious cake or final end product. Like if you're taking, making pound, cake, pound, pound cakes, then you, it is extremely important that all of them, all the ingredients are at room temperature. So that's your eggs, your butter. You don't want to get them straight out of the fridge and straight into the bowl. That's why, yeah. that's why you're here as the expert on kicks. I'm like, yeah, shove it in. What's the worst that can happen? Um, now, the next dish sounds right up my Jebel Ali. This is the kind of thing I would cook time and time again. Love the flavours. It's a sticky pomegranate glazed lamb rack. And it sounds amazing. What do we need to be picking up from store? What's on the shopping list? So you need to make sure that you ask the Spinney's butcher for a trimmed rack of lamb. They will clean the bones uh, of the rack and they will remove the spine bone, which will allow you to easily carve the rack of lamb. And uh, yeah, the, that's, the ingredient, that's the main ingredient that you need to get. But um, yeah, then you also need uh, pomegranate molasses for the recipe. So that's another thing to pick up from the store. That's my favorite. It's one of my favorite ingredients ever. In the slow cooker, some lamb, pomegranate molasses. Just, and I have actually had it this morning on my breakfast. I've gotten to like some kind of weird foodie, not a rut because I'm enjoying it, but a habit. So I'm having za'atar um, on top of some labneh and a little bit of pomegranate molasses. And I have, um, I actually got them from Spinney's. They're called Ricky's Bickies. <laughs> and one of, our, one of our colleagues here is called Ricky. Every time I pick them up, I'm like, oh, Ricky's Bickies. Um, so that's become my breakfast. But pomegranate molasses is such actually a really versatile ingredient. We've had it with couscous, but it works so well with lamb because it is quite strong. And, la- you know, lamb can take that flavor. What other yeah. veggies are, are in this dish? There, is, there are fennel bulbs and mm. leek, and mm. the, the delicious thing about the fennel is you've got to place it under the lamb rack. So what happens is the bottom caramelizes, and the top adds that fennel flavor to the lamb. And there is all the delicious juices in the pan, and it just, it's going to be extremely soft at the end and super delicious. How long would this take? This dish would take you um, 15 minutes plus some marination time and a cooking time of just about 30 minutes. And what, what, is there anything you could do in advance? Because it sounds like a really good dinner party thing. Is, is it a case of doing it all the night? Is there anything you could do the morning or even the night before? You could do the marination overnight. So you could mix all of the spices together and marinate the lamb overnight. Um, but if you are running short on time, then just one hour is also fine. Okay, right. This sounds delicious. Sticky pomegranate glazed lamb rack. An argument, I say argument, a, mm, a discussion we often have in our house is about resting meat. My husband's like, get it out, put it on, put it, stick it out. You know, it's hot. Everyone's waiting for food. 
Um, and I have to be like, I've spoken to many chefs in my time, Mr. Farmer, and they all tell me that resting's really important. Um, where do you yeah. stand on the on the resting debate? And is it is it crucial for this recipe? Please say yes. <laughs> always, always okay. rest your meat. Always rest your meat because it's extremely important, especially with lamb. It allows the muscle fibers to relax, which stops all the delicious juices from just like seeping out mm-hmm. the second that you carve the meat. You see this with steak as well. And I find this to be true even with seafood. So really? when, you're done with cook- yeah, when you're done cooking your salmon as well uh, or any other bigger cut fish, let it rest for a little while. It'll taste so much better. And what have you been cooking recently? As I said, your, your Instagram is a source of inspiration as well as the spinnies. What have you been making? Um, at home at the moment, I have some tomatillos and I have a bunch of these wild mushrooms that I picked up from Spinney's, the mixed mushroom packets that we have downstairs. And I'm thinking of making something Mexican over the weekend. So, yeah, let's see how it goes. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a really big fan of kind of tray bakes and, and kind of one tray baking um, and it's yeah. you've got some brilliant recipes on there as well now we were just heard from Reese who's saying he hates tomatoes you're what? the I know I know um, we won't judge I know I know what he means it's taken me a while to get on board with the raw tomatoes but your latest oh. post is about the heirloom tom- tomatoes that um, are currently in store and how have you prepared them because they uh, honestly mouth is watering just looking at them what would you recommend with these amazing amazing humongous like they're the size of the palm of your hand what do you do with them so especially when you get an heirloom tomato or a tomato that where the flavor of the tomato is really important i think the best thing that you can do is to put some salt on it some olive oil the salt what it does actually is it makes the tomato flavor just a lot more pronounced but not in a bad way, not like if like you hate tomatoes, you're going to like, you would never try this. No, I would actually suggest someone who hates tomatoes to put some flaky sea salt on top and then taste the tomato after the flaky sea salt is melted mm. just a little bit into the tomato because it just tastes different, like completely different, like a thing altogether. It tastes like a holiday. And there was a very long time when I first arrived in Dubai where I couldn't get strawberries that tasted like strawberries. I couldn't get tomatoes that tasted like tomatoes. I remember going to, <laughs> going to Beirut and going, the tomatoes, they taste like tomatoes. <laughs> and that, you know, so much has changed now. We're really lucky to have some raising varieties um, and suppliers. So... I'm going to be getting some, I think, over the weekend. I'm definitely going to be making the sticky pomegranate lamb. That looks unbelievable. And guys, if you are making any of these recipes, please don't forget they are up on the website. Um, but tag us. We'd love to see what you're getting up to in the kitchen. So tag at Spanish Dubai, tag Dubai I1038FM. Thank you so much, Anki. Go and have a wonderful weekend full of food. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Um, Manal saying, I'm new to cooking. What does resting meat mean? It basically means... Sometimes if it's a steak or lamb in this, for, for example, you might want to cover it with some tinfoil or perhaps a tea towel and just let it sit before you cut it because it really does allow the juices to stay in because if you cut it too soon, all of that will just pour out. It allows the muscle fibres to relax and yeah, it just stops those delicious juices from escaping when you carve the meat. So it depends on the, on the cut and how you're cooking it. So do, do a little bit of research depending on the meat you're cooking. But if you're doing like a stew, it makes no difference. But if you are searing a beautiful piece of steak or you're doing lamb, give it time to rest before you serve and you'll get the best possible flavours. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinney's. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. 
Wonderful to have you with us as we talk food here on Farmer's Kitchen. And one of our favourite foodies is Ava Ahmed of Frying Pan Adventures. And we're talking about dates. But before we do dates, Ava, I'm curious. Now, you're a massive foodie. You're quite adventurous with your eating. I know you've, you've eaten food from all over the world and from, you know, incredible kind of five-star restaurants, but mainly the small hole-in-the-wall places. Is there anything that... that even on a foodie tour, you've had to politely say, I just don't like that and I don't really want to eat it, please. Um, yes, actually, there was. Uh, and I think it was in, I want to say it was in Vietnam, um, when you have balut, which is uh, essentially the embryos within the egg uh, and it's kind of half grown so you can you can see the no, almost no, stop. about to start forming stop chick stop it no enough enough no disrespect <laughs> to anyone whose favorite food is balut, but no thank you milani in the booth is yes, giggling I, I, milani, I, I, have I you eaten the line this? there Milani's nodding. She's eaten it. You're a braver woman than me. Let's talk about something sweeter. Dates. I have had three today. <laughs> I have in the past edited a book about Dubai and in my dedication page, I thank dates because they powered me through the writing and the editing process. But I have to say, I don't know much about them and you are here to shed some light. Are you able to tell us a little bit about their, their cultural significance really to the UAE to start? Sure. I mean, I think dates is not just culturally significant to the UAE, but to the entire region. And even beyond culture, it's actually even a religious significance. It transcends Islam. It's, you know, been revered from times ancient. I mean, 6,000 years ago, we have evidence of date palms being cultivated. So this is how sort of rich the date traditions are in, in the area that we live in. Uh, but the interesting thing is that the Arabs have the most number of unique terms associated with different parts of the date plant with the, with the different varieties of the fruit with the techniques all of that they have the most sort of advanced nomenclature around it uh which is why you know people get so passionate and nostalgic about dates here in the UAE and and in our neighboring countries but specifically from a you know especially from a religious standpoint because it is it is a, a muslim country um Dates have been mentioned multiple times in the Quran. So it really is considered a sacred fruit. It sort of symbolizes the, the bounty of God. It's considered a healing food, actually, miraculously healing for the body, for your soul. And the prophet himself recommended that you should eat about seven dates a day. So you still have uh, four more to go for uh, for today. But he he essentially said that a house without dates is... A poor house, indeed. That's one of the one of the prophets saying. And the the earliest mosque, the first mosque of the prophet that was built in the city of Medina, was actually built out of um, it was built out of palm trees and and all of the products of the palm tree. And even now, when you look at a mosque and you see the minarets, back in the day they did not have those minarets. They had palm trees and the muezzin. Uh, the first Mu'azzin was Bilal and he would climb up onto the palm tree and he would issue the Adhan, the call to prayer. Oh, so there's a lot of, I mean, there's there's so much um, 
Islamic as well as pre-Islamic. We, we even say that, uh, you know, the palm tree is considered to be the sister of Adam because it was made out of the whatever clay was left after making Adam. So there's just a lot of rich, uh, a lot of sayings and traditions and beliefs around that. Can you tell us about the legend of the phoenix, which is not a J.K. Rowling novel. It is, it is relevant <laughs> to the conversation of dates. Should be. <laughs> you know, the, the interesting thing is, so the, the Greek name, and I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong, I'm terrible with scientific names, but it's Phoenix Dactylifera. Sounds legit and, to me. Uh, Dactylifera in Greek essentially is the word for a finger because, you know, that's what the date looks like. Uh, but the Phoenix part has that there's different interpretations. Uh, one of the interesting ones is that it is from the legendary bird, the phoenix, which, and there's only one of this bird that lives on earth at any one point in time, and they live for 500 years, and they make their nest on top of the, you know, an old palm tree with some really intriguing ingredients like cassia and frankincense. And at the end of the 500 years, this bird very dramatically will erupt into a ball of flames and will burn to ashes. And then there will be a new bird that will be born out of out of the ashes. So it's this sort of symbolism of birth and renewal and rebirth, essentially. And it's uh, it's it's I think it's very appropriate that that legend is associated with the palm tree, because even in terms of the way the palm tree grows and how long it lives, uh, a lot of that is reflected in its actual anatomy. So that is the story behind wow. the phoenix. And that's one of the one of the legends behind why it's called Phoenix Dactylifera. And living here in Dubai, you know, I'm I'm in Jumeirah and it's I see guys climbing the, the date palms on our street, you know, just yes. shimmying up and emptying those green, <laughs> those green nets. And I have thought you know, in kind of numerous times how amazing it would be to have our own kind of date harvest. Can you grow date trees in your backyard? What what does what does nature say about it? You can. I mean, essentially what you need is very well watered roots and the sort of the the rest of the palm tree, its head has to be, you know, exposed to a really hot and uh, sort of dry climate, which is exactly what we have, because you don't want you don't want the fruit essentially to rot. So they say that you, you have to have the legs of the, the palm tree sunk in water and its head up in the fire of heaven. You know, there's a lot of if people really look at the palm tree as 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 human. Interestingly, also because, and you you definitely need to know this if you are deciding to grow one in your backyard, Helen, is that palm trees can be male or female. What? So yes, yes, they're not. They, they are male and female, and I, I think the women are really going to appreciate what I'm going to say <laughs> next. So, um, <laughs> the it is only obviously the female fruit, the female trees that bear dates, uh, and so over time the cultivation has, because we, we want to cultivate specifically for the fruit, cultivation has moved towards rearing of the female because the quality of the fruit has nothing to do with the male genes. Nothing at all. It doesn't matter which male tree gave the pollen. We don't really care, frankly. Uh, 
it's really all in the female plan and you do not what you want to do is you don't want to take the pit of a seed and just kind of grow it that would be the natural thing to do right mm-hmm. you just sort of uh, plant that in your backyard but then you you will not know what is the quality of the actual plant that will come out you you have no control over the gene pool what is actually done in cultivation is you pick the female tree that you know has high quality fruit that is essentially sort of very abundant and strong and at the base of the tree there're going to be these offshoots that grow sort of like suckers and you have to just very carefully prune those away and it's the sucker that you grow because then you are exactly cloning the female the tree and you're cloning her for the quality the strong that she has. independent woman that she is every day is a school day absolutely absolutely You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Joining us to talk food today and dates in particular of Ahmed of Frying Pan Adventures is here. And every day is a school day. Didn't know that palm trees could be male or female. I obviously knew that the female was going to be the uh, the more important <laughs> out of the two of us. Um, thank you so much for being with us. Um, there, I've heard that there are around 600 different varieties in the Middle East. But for now, because we've only got five minutes... Let's focus on maybe five. Are you able to explain some of your favorites and some of their characteristics as well? Sure. So I guess the one that is most revered is um, is medjool, which is known all around the world. And it's interesting because coming back to the male and female tree, uh, the reason medjool is called medjool is because it's from the word medhul, which means of unknown, sort of unknown lineage. Because back in the day before people figured out cultivation, you know, seeds were dispersed, you would have most of the cases when the seeds would sprout it would be a low quality tree but this one in the north of africa turned out to be sort of like jackpot and when people figured it out they didn't know how it began but that's how it became known as medjool of unknown lineage essentially and farmers would actually keep the offshoots under lock and key because it was really prized they would consume the inferior dates for themselves and then export these really high quality beautiful chewy um chewy and very plump and luscious dates and i personally believe having tasted them from different parts of the world because they're not just grown in north africa now palestine grows them jordan grows them I think even Saudi grows them. The ones I love uh, the most are actually the Palestinian ones, and they demand a high price uh, for a reason. Ooh! So in terms of taste and characteristics, I think Medjool being quite kind of soft and quite fudgy would that be fair to say? Because yes. we kind of categorize yes, dates in terms by softness, ripeness, hardness, dryness. Where would they fall on the scale? Absolutely. So it's 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 quite tricky because when you look at the textures of dates, you have your really dry dates, which I am personally not a fan of, semi-soft, and then really soft dates. That's one sort of spectrum. The other spectrum is in terms of the actual sort of stage of ripening. You have bisir, which is the sort of red, yellow, crunchy, mm-hmm. quite astringent uh, state. And you'll only see that usually when, you know, the date harvest is sort of around the corner. The one you will get at date harvest time, which we all have to rush for, that's July, August, is rutab, which is my 
personal favorite. It's sort of almost like the dates are bursting at the seams with juice. It's a very high moisture content and they're really lush. Like you almost feel like you're doing something naughty, but you know you're eating a fruit. <laughs> and the last one, which is the one that we normally get uh, all year round is tamar, which is the stage that you normally get your medjool in. These are actually dried dates. But in, in the context of dried dates, medjool is still one that exhibits that really lush, fudgy quality that you mentioned that sometimes we tend to associate with uh, with rutab dates, though it doesn't have that same moisture level, so it, it won't rot. Uh, we could talk about this all afternoon. I, I never knew, <laughs> honestly, I never I never knew there was so much to understand and, and to revere really about this. And of course, available in Spinney's uh, for some amazing varieties and some great recipes as well. Such an important time of year. Ava, thank you so much um, for joining us from Frying Pan Adventures. You can head over to their website to see what they're up to. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinney's. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Meeting the chef now and today it is Chef Troy Payne of The Pangolin. He has cooked in some of Australia's most awarded restaurants since being a teenager. Learning his craft from the best in the business. He's been in the UA around seven years now and has truly embraced the country, its produce, the farmers, and is now bringing that homegrown farm-to-table philosophy to the Pangolin at the Els Club, where he is the head cook. Chef, how are you this afternoon? Hello, hello, Helen. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I want to know from you, as a chef who presumably needs to be tasting things all day long, is there anything you're like, mm-mm, don't want to eat that, thanks very much, that will not go on my menu? Um, yeah, um, <laughs> this might be a bit controversial, but yeah, fad foods. I don't, I'm a, not a fan of um, fad concepts or um, dishes, things that are just there for a, uh, a showpiece or for someone to actually just take a photo of. I, I find that, I find that more, uh, you know, that's when I don't want to eat it. That's what repulses you. It's, it's more of a philosophical repulsion rather than a taste thing. It's, a, it's an ethical, which I, uh... I appreciate that. So tell us then a little bit about your foodie philosophy. What are you all about if it's not things and people not even looking at the menu, just showing your photo on Instagram saying, I want to eat that, which is one of my top pet peeves? Yes. Um, well, look, the, it's, it's not so much as a philosophy. I think it's more about just trying to – cooking now for myself is more – and the food that we do here is more about um, – basically about heritage, culture, memories and traditions – um, and trying to go back um, and remember how things were done. Um, I, I'm not a fan of packet foods or um, anything like that. So anything that anything that we use in the restaurant is um, it's not it's not from a packet. It's not from a, a, a pre-made bottle. Um, I mean, for instance, we make our own vinegars here. All the meats are made in house. Everything's everything's made here. We make our own butter. We whatever we can. Anything that um, I, we want to use in the kitchen or that I come up with, um, it's about saying, right, um, for instance, we do Kilpatrick oysters um, over the over wooden coals and the, one of the ingredients in that is Worcestershire sauce. Um, and so then once we got going and we had time then, so we now make our own Worcestershire sauce for the oysters. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so... Mm. But that says everything about you then. This is about understanding and respecting the produce, knowing where it comes from and knowing presumably how how it can all 
go together and this is why I think working with the producers that you are working with is is so so crucial to have these relationships much like Spinney's does they know they know the farmers they know the individuals that are raising these animals that come to the shelf and you're in the same way working with UA farmers to really get an understanding of what what it's all about do you feel like customers care more than ever before or is this just a hope that you have that one day they will um no I think people do care um, I think I think one of the, the most beautiful things that happened with you know COVID lockdown was actually um, people having five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, uh, three months to make bread at home. And you know I heard you talking before about banana bread, um, and but I think people breaking out and doing that kind of thing is marvelous. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that's that's not that's. It's not a trend, and it's not—it's not just me hoping that people want to know what's in their food. Um, I think everybody nowadays, with everybody's um, different conditions, different dietary requirements, and things like that, that it's everyone is, of course, when they look into their own diet, they're looking into what they're actually putting into their body. Mm-hmm. So a lot more people these days will pick up a product and read what is in it. Um, for myself, I prefer to pick up a product and smell what it's like um i want to it's food is not overall it's not it's not actually a very difficult thing um when you have and understand your produce um and understand the base flavors and things like that so that's that's a lot more fun then i think but i think that's exactly right but being you know we saw in the uk flour selling out you know people just wanting to make their own bread at home and you know we were lucky here in the ua we didn't have you know shortages of toilet rolls and flat and flour like everywhere else but there was seemed to be that going back to basics which you mentioned before and if that's one positive to come out of the pandemic that people start to educate themselves more on produce and their abilities and experimenting and having fun then yeah, I'll take it. Thanks very much. I really would. Um, when, yeah. when it comes and to, people, oh, sorry, sorry, keep no, going. No, no, I was, I was just going to ask you when you know when talk, talking about your philosophy around the quality produce and connection and understanding and do you feel like on the menu at the pangolin there is a, a dish that really sums you up that you know if, if someone comes in you say if you eat this you will understand what I, Chef Troy Payne, am all about as a chef. Um, <laughs> that's a fun one. You probably have to eat the whole menu um, because okay. it's, <laughs> sort of, yeah, it's not necessarily about any specific dish. I mean, there's dishes on there that that have helped change people's perspectives of things. Um, I mean, for instance, when I was growing up, I didn't like beetroot at all. Um, in, in Australia, beetroot comes in a tin and it's put in a hamburger and it's, it's not appealing. Um, and so... I grew up disliking beetroot. So part of the thing with myself and cooking is if there's something that I don't like, there's obviously I've got to find a way to cook it or to prepare it um, that makes me actually like it. Um, and so there's that thing. So I, I, like I said, I didn't like beetroot. But then nowadays here in the restaurant I have a, um, a beetroot kebab uh, where we use, we marinate raw beetroot and then cook it over the wooden fire and coals. Um, and then we put a little bit of uh, nice marmite, some dehydrated feta, pickled basil leaves off my balcony garden, um, and you know, and and I could eat this all day now. Um, I've I've even I've even gone as far as you know having a barbecue in the in the desert with friends, and 
you know, a traditional barbecue is here. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. You go in there, but a lot of the time there's the chicken, there's the meat, there's a salad made. Um, so I took beetroot kebabs and cooked up beetroot kebabs for everyone in the desert. And they were like, wow, I never knew a beetroot could taste this good. So oh. it's about, it's about, I think it's, there's, there's lots of things on the menu. It's, um, I think the things that define um, the menu here and people saying, oh, then that's Troy on a plate is, um, I mean, you can come to the restaurant and have a look at our meat aging room where we make all our own salamis, um, everything, you know, everything is made. So it's, that's probably what defines us a lot more mm-hmm. um, from, from cheeses to butters and all that kind of thing. So I think when people sit and eat in the restaurant, a lot of the time, you know, I spend a lot of time in the restaurant talking to customers um, and explaining to them more. It's like, what cuisine are you doing? And I said, there's no cuisine. Um, I don't think, you know, yes, it's fine having different cuisines. I love different types of cuisines of food. But my, for myself, you know, I'm, I come from a, I'm from Melbourne, but I have a Swiss background, a Yugoslav background. Um, I've spent most of my time traveling around the world. And you, I can't travel without learning or you can't be, I, Every day you wake up, you have to learn something. So I take that into food. And so the way for me to do that is to learn more about the history of a dish um, and or a product or something like that, and then just dive further and further back into history. Um, There's a barbecue sauce that we use, and it's from um, 1941. was the oldest recipe book I could find from South Africa. And it was um, based on a like a country women's association cookbook where they share all their re- recipes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's even how to cl- there's even how to clean your curtains in there. Ah, well, <laughs> every day is a school day. Welcome back to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. It is all about food this afternoon. Delighted to be in conversation with Chef Troy Payne of The Pangolin. It's in the Owls Club, bringing his homegrown philosophy, keeping things simple. Can I just say, Chef, Troy Payne is such a strong name. I feel like you should be some kind of superhero. Troy Payne. Now, you've had a minute (laughs) and you've got a minute. Tell us the last meal you would have on Earth. I was going to send you to a really rubbish desert island where the food was just horrendous. But the night before... You got to go. You had the meal of your dreams. Starter, main, dessert. What would you be eating? Oh, do I have to do three courses? Yeah, go on. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, starters. Um, starters, I'd probably just I'd probably just like a watermelon. That's it? Yeah. Okay. I just like a, a really, really beautiful watermelon. I could just sit there and eat that for starters. Um, main course, um, main course, uh, you asked me a really beautiful salad sandwich. What? Uh, a salad sandwich? Yeah. You're Australian, man. What are you, what's going on here? You're barbecuing beetroot and now you're having a salad sandwich? Come on. I do. No, it's, yeah, but it's, it's a salad sandwich is not that simple. Imagine <laughs> it's a beautiful, fresh, um, fresh homemade bread. Um, nice sourdough, toasted, grilled over fire. Um, in that, you've got a pastrami that you've been you've made for 19 hours. Slice that with your own sauerkraut. 
um, your own house dill pickles. Okay, um, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I thought you were yeah. just talking about like a bag of <laughs> so, you know bag of mixed leaves, you know, in between some mighty white. Okay, fine. I'll give you the salad yeah. sandwich. And do you have a sweet tooth? Um, yes, I do, very much so. Um, I, but for my dessert, I could, this is uh, th- when you said my last meal ever. I actually, this is the first thing I thought of. I didn't need three courses, so the first thing was actually just a beautiful bowl of um, homemade creamy, creamy homemade yogurt ice cream mm. with um, date molasses, um, and yeah, then I'd be happy. That sounds so, delicious. Yeah. Chef, thank you so much for your time. I know Thursdays are busy in the restaurant. I'm going to let you get back to kitchen, get back to service. Have a wonderful weekend. You can, of course, meet and Chef. Thank you, very, thank you very much for the chat. Pleasure. And, um, yeah. See you soon, I hope. And, and you can see Chef in the restaurant at the Pangolin. It's in the Owls Club. And um, I think he's very successfully made us very hungry indeed. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinney's. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. You are in the right place because on Farmer's Kitchen, we love talking about food and we love supporting SMEs as well. So it is a pleasure to have you with us this afternoon on Atelier, the CEO of Indaguna. And I want to get a bit of a, a flavour, so to speak, about what the company's all about. Can you tell us about the origins and what we can find on the shelves of Spinney's from your company, Arno? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Indoguna is a, is a company that uh, comes with about 27 years of, of experience, uh, originally from, from Singapore. Um, Indoguna was developed to uh, supply uh, food service uh, business with uh, quality goods, uh, mainly meat product, as well as seafood, uh, seafood product to the food service market. Since 2012, we incorporated a company called Indoguna Production, which is based here in Dubai. And in 2012, what we did is design a factory that uh, was going to produce a specialty meat product as well as convenience food item. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we have um, developed this range, which today we are embarking uh, with with Pines to sell the product. So tell us about some of the products, because I had a pretty boring lunch. um, Oh, wow. Maybe this is your chance to make everyone's tummy rumble a bit. Okay, great. Well, let let me tell you about the product that we're currently uh, serving with Pines. We've, we've developed a, a whole range of air-dry uh, fermented meat products, so uh, salamis and bresaolas and copa, uh, which is quite unique for, for Dubai because typically those products would be imported traditionally from uh, France, Italy, Spain, and, and, and Germany for this type of product. Our plant in Jabal Ali is producing uh, 100% halal product, and we took on the challenge to look at the raw material we had available and create specialty in a European style, but 100% halal and made here in Dubai. Um, so the range of product that we are currently uh, serving with Pines is, uh, you know, our beef brezola, we have our veal tartufo salami, we have our veal pepperoni, um, we have a product like a veal pancetta as well, um, and we have a whole exciting new range uh, which we are looking at uh, launching for the last quarter, which is, is our value range of product. And, and, this is all, is, and this is all being manufactured in Jabal Ali, so just, just 100%. up the 
plant. Yes. And you see, we, I mean, we really use a traditional method of production. We import uh, quality raw material. We use our 27 years of experience in the food industry to work with uh, suppliers and, and farmers that have their own breeding program. So, for example, with our Wagyu range, we work with Tajima out of Australia. So we import uh, cuts which are seven to eight marbling score. Uh, so beautiful product. And we work as well with family-run companies of seasoning product out of Austria. So all our seasoning and starter culture is done to our specification. We remove any nonsense. You know, there is no artificial flavoring. There is no artificial coloring. There's no fillers or anything like that. We Really, it's real meat, wholesome ingredients that goes into producing a traditional product. Wow. Um, okay. So this isn't this is things being done properly, and I, I love the fact that there is that relationship between the suppliers. I love the fact it's happening just up the road in Javalali and then being distributed to Spinney stores. What about spending trends? What have you noticed from customers coming into store? What What are people really enjoying right now, Anna? We are sort of creating a trend, I would say. You can have a beautiful experience, which is 100% halal. Products which are you know, manufactured in a traditional way, which are full of flavor and, and goodness, and, and try to create that experience in, in the, you know, over the, the, the counter in, in spinach. So I think in terms of, you know, we, we are creating this trend. We, we, we launched the product back in, in October uh, and it was initially with three stores. Today we are serving 13 different spinach stores with our range of products. The goal is to increase the exposure so that people can enjoy those products guilt-free and still have, you know, a, a beautiful experience when consuming the product. Do you have a favorite? Oh, oh, wow. I know you're lucky enough to have access to all of this food and you're, yes. I'm sure your office is just you know, a heaven for snacking. But well, do, you, do you have a favorite that you keep on going back to? It's quite, um, it's a difficult, that's a tricky question because I, I absolutely adore food. If, if we come back to the air dry range, well, it is something which I'm always very passionate and excited about. You would have to come to the factory to look at our curing room because this is where the magic happens. And, and as soon as you open the door, you have amazing uh, sense that comes to you. If, if I have to pick one, um, I would say that the, the, um, the Wagyu Brezola is quite something special. Actually, the Wagyu range between uh, the Brezola, the Copa, and the Pancia, uh, those three products are really star, star, star products. You're talking to us t- today as the CEO, but you are a former chef yourself. You've worked in London, in Singapore, here in Dubai, in some incredible hotels as executive chef. So can you give us some ideas about what to do with some of these products? I mean, for me... And I've discussed it on the show before. I love what I call like a picky dinner, you know, just putting out lots of little cold cuts and cheese and cornichon, you know, bread and crackers and things. But is there anything else we could be doing with with, with looking at those, uh, the cured rage in particular that you think could do a kind of restaurant level meal at home just by picking up some things from store? Yes. I mean, you did touch the point there that it's, it's a typical product that goes for uh, aperitif kind of platter. Uh, it's beautiful when you have those cold cuts served with a nice uh, uh, focaccia freshly baked and some, some assorted cheese. I mean, it's just the, the perfect pick and choose kind of, uh, kind of platter. Um, there is products which are suitable for cooking. We do a beautiful uh, Wagyu chorizo. And um, I 
mean, I, I, I do um, use this, uh, this product. Uh, I, I, I diced the, the Wagyu chorizo, which I saute with some, uh, some prawns, um, and I finish with a gorgonzola, and, and, and I use this uh, to serve with my pasta. And that is something which is quite, uh, quite beautiful. So um, we also have some clients that use our uh, truffle salami, and then they finally dice it, and then they finish salad with it. Very <laughs> so basically what you're saying is we need to be getting some focaccia from Spinney's Bakery, maybe some brie, maybe some of your cold cut and just have a, the, the ultimate picnic. I love it. Absolutely. Arno, thank yes. you so, so much for your time today. The products are available in Spinney's store now and it sounds like you've got lots planned. Expect some serious sales of the Wagyu range because I'm going to be heading to the store after the show today. So thank you so, so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend ahead. Thank you, Helen. Thank you very much for having me. And um, yes, I wish you as well a, a wonderful weekend ahead. Thank you. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Great to have you with us on Farmer's Kitchen. It is Thursday. The weekend is upon us. Are you going anywhere nice? Let us know. Or maybe you are saving your dirhams and maybe your energy for the Eid weekend. I can't believe how fast the holy month of Ramadan is is going by and Eid will be upon us before we know it. So we're looking ahead now to some staycation options. Tiffany Eslick is joining us. She's the content director at Spinney's. And lucky enough, Tiffany, to go and try some of these gorgeous places. And what I love about this article is that it's not the ones that we all know about. I think what you've done so well is perhaps uncover some places that are a bit more off the beaten track or have something different going for them than perhaps the ones that, dare I say it, a lot of tourists go to. So can you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your first option, which I believe is one of the brand new city hotels, the Obelisk? Yes, absolutely. So I think that this is my new culinary haven where you will find me every weekend, not just overeat. I think what they've done incredibly well is to have a variety of fantastic food and beverage offerings. And, you know, Chef Russell and Piazzi is at the home of these kitchens. He is such a passionate man. I was lucky enough to sit down with him when I did go there for the staycation and just to kind of learn what he's trying to do with all the different restaurants. Um, he's got a strong focus on sustainability. Um, and yes, you know, just you can basically spend the entire weekend eating in a different outlet and, you know, oh, roll out of it. That sounds amazing. So in terms of of the restaurants, the eateries, what, what is under the roof there at the Softel Obelisk? And um, dare you pick a favourite, Tiffany? Uh, I absolutely can't pick a favourite. I feel like I'd be cheating on one of them. <laughs> but of the four kind of main ones, um, I think Tycho, which is, you know, we've been there for Book Club, which is so fantastic. It's a, it's a strong Far East Asian offering with an interesting twist on a lot of the dishes. I think they've got standout dishes such as the wasabi-infused uh, melon as well as the kimchi-infused melon. I sort of am obsessing about that, just talking about it now. Um, and then some things, you know, like the shisha sushi, when, you, when the, the lid is lifted and it's sort of like got the shisha smoke around the sushi. That, that kind of thing is innovative. The afternoon tea is unbelievable. Um, I think so often you get so many different things and you can't get through it, but absolutely everything in this box that they present to you in the Bijou Lobby Lounge. What do you mean it's in a um, box? Like a treasure it's, it's chest? It's gorgeous. Yeah, like an absolute treasure chest. It comes with a key. You have to unlock oh. it. 
And then you open all these drawers and it's, it's got absolutely delicious delicacies in there. Um, so the savory layer on the top, I kind of worked my way through very quickly. Um, and then as you move down, you know, towards the sweets, there's this amazing lemon meringue, like mini pie, which is so tart. But I mean, I love tart. So yeah, that, that was great. And then Madeleines. You can buy Madeleines to go from the Bijou Lobby Lounge, but they're also in this afternoon tea. And they're, they're sort of stuffed with a raspberry filling and are so moorish. Um, and then there's also Brasserie Belude, you know, um, which is from Daniel Belude, that Michelin star chef. And I think that's really great for like a long, lazy lunch on the weekend. Um, it's The sea bass was delicious. There's this amazing chocolate fondant, which um, I was actually sharing but wanted the whole thing. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's also the Nine, which is the this sort of gastro um, pub outlet, which is great for a, a Saturday roast. Now, I so, heard yeah. from Chef Russell that the baguettes are quite special at this hotel, and I love me a carb. Is this true? Did you get the chance to try them? Absolutely. He said that we should judge him on the baguettes, and I totally was prepared to do that, and they were all, everywhere you went, the bread was excellent throughout the hotel, and it's so good, you know, like, you don't often get that. I love a bit of French flavour here in Dubai, so this just sounds phenomenal, as you say, a real eating weekend. Love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> heading from the city to the dunes, somewhere that is really on my Dubai bucket list is the Ritz Carlton um, Al Wadi Desert. And it is within a nature reserve. Um, so there's camels around you, there's falcon experiences. What was it like to visit there? Do you know what's surprising? Is it's about 50 minutes from downtown in Dubai and you just feel like you're somewhere else. Um, you turn off like the main road, you're there with it from the main turning. It's just, it's a world away from everywhere. And um, the dunes are just sort of are a different color. There's lovely burnt sienna color sort of dotted with um, plants. There's a number of gaff trees within this protective reserve, which is really lovely. And then hundreds and hundreds and thousands of birds everywhere so everywhere you go it's like bird song sort of follows you if you're up the resort um and then you know you've got they've got about a hundred gazelles um sand gazelles indian gazelles and arabian gazelles they've got about a hundred oryx um so they're all protected uh, so that's wonderful and i think oryx are just such majestic animals um and then yeah you know you can go horse riding as you said there's, there's so many activities i think what's nice is that this is perfect for couples it's fantastic for families it's a great kids club i took a peek inside there and <laughs> also if you're going by yourself you know if you just want some peace and quiet it's, it's a fabulous place to hide away i do want to hide away okay <laughs> you've right so we've talked food we've talked total escape what about Amal Quain? Because this is one that keeps on... You know what the algorithm is like. I think I might have mentioned it to a friend, and now it's popping up on just about everything. The Vida, the new Vida Beach Resort in Amal Quain. Um, and it sounds like they're just absolutely nailing it on the little touches. What was your experience like? Yeah, you know, it's just opened. I think it's a lot of fun. From the minute you walk in there, you can see like outside the lobby, there are vintage bikes with baskets, so you can cycle around the area. Um, the decor is, is really sort of, it's very beach aesthetic, very um, relaxing, and it sort of carries through into the rooms. But there's lots of really cool touches. So like you can get a retro record player and have it in your room and pick vinyls, anything from like Kings of Leon to Queen. There were a few others, but I sort of honed in on those too. Um, and so you can play that up in your room. You're also given a Polaroid camera, so you can snapshot during your stay. 
And I think the whole vibe is fun. There's a swing right on the beach, very Instagrammable. You know, it says Vita vibes above it, and everybody was flocking to that. And the pool is a really good area for, like, you know, families were gathering around there, fantastic um, place for snacks and drinks as well, and looking over into the sea. It's an infinity pool. Um, and there was a real buzz. I think if you're looking for something that's casual, really great for the family, or great for, for couples, um, again, it's, it's, it's a fun resort. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. We don't just talk food here on Farmer's Kitchen. We talk travel and lifestyle too. And Tiffany Aslick has been giving us some ideas for staycations and family activities for this weekend and over Eid as well. Avida Hotel has just opened its doors in Amal Quain. And Tiffany says it's fantastic. As, as you drive towards Culber, you cross, you get into a, a dal, you cross the Culber Creek to get to the resort, which is on this private island. And I mean, the crossing is going to only take you like five minutes, but you feel like you're a world away once you've done that. Um, and it's set um, right next to like a whole mangrove, a whole bunch of mangroves, which are apparently the oldest in the UAE. So I was getting sort of between 360 to 400 years old. Wow. And then you've got these beautiful sort of really understated tents on the beach separate like really far away from each other so you don't feel like you're on top of your neighbor Mm. well appointed so everything you expect from a luxury resort and then just this uninterrupted sea view in front of you and the beach at the resort is 1.8 kilometers long and you can just stride up and down you're not going to come across very many other people you can fly kites in the afternoon the only thing you're going to come across is some of the ghost crabs in the morning or at sunset but they're really cute they'll scuttle out your way as soon as you come near them and you know there's hundreds of shells on the beach like which is really really lovely to see now, my kids are obsessed with shells, and I think it's because of me. I absolutely love it. I really, really do. I find there's something so peaceful about just picking up shells and looking at them and arranging them. Now, Ankia, I know, was lucky enough to go to the capital and try another another kind of foodie city centre hotel. He went to the Abu Dhabi edition, which has got some really big-name uh, chefs attached to it. Um, were you able to give us the highlights? Yeah, so he had a fantastic time. Basically, throughout um, Ramadan, there's an iftar that's been created in collaboration with uh, Chef Mohammed Ofali from Ofali Bros, as well as Tom Akins, uh, the Michelin star chef. Within dinner, there's a sort of curated menu designed by them as part of the main buffet. And Ankit said it was absolutely delicious. He really, really loved the Zatos spiced rubbed chicken, um, as well as the carrot Walnut Muhammara, he was he keeps going on about that. <laughs> and he said that there's this table side naan service. So they come and they brush your naan at the table and you can choose your toppings and it's like piping hot. So it sounds fantastic and I'm glad he, he got to go. Oh well I think there's some food for thought, some bookings to be made over the weekend. It sounds absolutely brilliant. So thank you. And where can people find out more information? So we'll be publishing this article online um, next week and it will also be in the new edition of Spinney's, which is out on the 1st of May. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinney's. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Don't forget, you can tune in live to Farmer's Kitchen every single Thursday afternoon on Dubai I 103.8 between 2 and 5 p.m.